Howdy friends, welcome back to Experience Design with Tony Dosat. I happen to be Tony Dosat. This is a podcast about how design impacts the way we experience life. And I would love to know what you think of the show. So subscribe, leave a review, find me on Instagram at xdpodcast, whatever it is. I love hearing from all of you. It means the world to me. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's conversation. My guest this week is the founder of the award-winning branding agency, Just Creative, as well as the industry-leading design blog of the same name. He's a TEDx speaker and has been featured in Entrepreneur, Forbes, and a number of high-profile design books, including the Best of Logo Lounge Master Series. With clients like Nike, Disney, Nintendo, Jerry Seinfeld, you get the picture, as well as iconic locations such as San Francisco, Puerto Rico, and New York's Digital District. It is my pleasure to introduce to all of you, Mr. Jacob Cass. Jacob. What's up? Thank you. Man, your voice there is like so uh, so deep and love it. It's just a like great intro voice. <laughs> <laughs> just like some milky yeah exactly buttery (laughs) you know it's funny you say that everybody hates their own voice and when i first started this never in my wildest dreams did i think that the number one feedback i would get is oh hey i love your voice because we all go like "Ah, i hate my voice my voicemail i would record my voicemail from my phone i'm not getting 12 times over and over and over again I, I, so it's flattering. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely, it's like a late night uh, love song dedication. So you got that like deep, yeah. deep voice. <laughs> Maybe it's another podcast for you. <laughs> Let's start this way. Okay, you're married. Yes. What song shall I dedicate to your wife? <laughs> oh man, uh, the song I remember is from our wedding dance. Is the um, the breathe song, but I won't I won't uh, sing it. <laughs> breathe. Yeah, I don't even know who sings it, but it was our like slow dance wedding song. How about this? What's your wife's name? Emily. Emily, if you're listening, Jacob loves you, and he wants to dedicate this next song to you. I just want to take it nice and slow. <laughs> That's amazing, right? <laughs> you nailed it. You're in the wrong job. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, enough fun. Yeah. Now we're going to get serious. So, like I said in the intro, you've done some crazy work. You started this thing, how many years ago now? Uh, probably 12 to 15, I lose track, but probably 2007, yeah, 2007, I guess. That's when I first started the business or blog, which I still use today. And you did the thing that so many people dream about doing, are terrified of doing, and a lot never actually do it, which is start your own small business yeah why did you decide to do that as opposed to working for someone else for the rest of your life so i actually did both for a little while so i started the business and i was also working for someone else so i was dabbling in freelancing and people paying me beer money to create crappy websites back in the day and that kind of just was the start of the design career and um, that kind of just evolved, evolved from there. So then I got picked up by an agency in New York, so moved over there and started working for them. But during that time, it was about a five-year period, um, I was working for all those big brands that you mentioned at the start of this um, 
but I was also building up my business at the same time. And anyone else that's getting into this or wanting to start their business, I definitely recommend working for someone else first, an agency, so you can get experience from people smarter than you yeah. and people around you, especially if you're coming straight out of design school, you need to learn from experience. And then you can apply that to your own business. But that's not to say you can't start your own business. You should be learning along the way, freelancing, moonlighting. And yeah, that's how I did it. And eventually I, I took it full time and I have, I've been full time ever since. So um, I'm the man now and yeah, I make my own hours and have all that freedom and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, that's something to work towards. That is really, really something because you did it the right way, I would say. And it's, it's something that I toyed with years ago, but never was able to convince myself enough to pull the plug to go completely on my own. And I do love working for someone else. I've got a great job, but I so admire people like you. So kudos to that. And you have done some crazy good stuff. For example, recently, San Francisco. Like, let me ask you, how the hell do you do the branding for a city. What an experiment. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging one. And there's a lot that goes into a city, right? There's so many different things to consider. So, But like any logo project or branding project, you're encapsulating the whole brand's ethos down into one image. So it's a similar problem, just on a bigger scale. So um, it's thankfully, I had a very thorough design brief that was given to me based on um, nine months of research. So there's a lot to, to work from and we know knew what was going to be right for the brand because we had something to come back to. I was very well researched from um, a third party. Uh, I was actually subcontracted by another agency called Miles Partnership. They, they specialize in marketing, um, destination marketing. And yeah, they subcontracted me for the, the branding and design work, uh, logo design work for San Francisco. And yeah, it was, it was a great collaboration and they actually subcontracted many other designers as well. And we went through a whole user testing phase and thankfully uh, my work came out on top, which I was super humbled by. And it's really awesome to just to have that. Yeah, I'm glad it came through. As far as the research bit goes, in the industry that I'm in, I do more apps, web design, etc. Less brand. Usually they're very well-established brands that come for a digital transformation rather than an identity or transformation of their their perception or feeling so companies that that can come to us sometimes will have the third-party research like you said often for myself it's hard to trust that research fully because I didn't do it but because of budget because of time whatever it is a lot of times we have to trust that research hopefully it's right and correct and they've they've really done their due diligence do you ever face that problem Definitely, there's definitely that concern. Um, thankfully, in this for this particular project, they actually sent all the raw interviews and files and everything, so I can interpret myself. But they have a team that was um, working with them as well to really summarize everything and make it concise. So pretty much, we had a brief on one page, uh, and which ended up dictating all the designs. But then the style guide and the full brand booklet was like a, a good hundred-page document that they uh, put together and with all the the guidelines and the the voice and everything was pretty detailed. So mm. I wasn't involved with like all that because there was a team building all of that um, to, to be transparent about it. But yeah, there's when it comes to research, um, you do have to do your own. And obviously there was a lot of visual 
research that I had to do that wasn't provided to me. So there was like hundreds and hundreds of different San Francisco logos and stores and resources and stock photography and everything that had to be researched to really understand where the brand is at now and what could actually portray a city of that diversity so well. So a lot of it actually came down to what actually worked with the name because San Francisco is a very long name and it's split into two words. One is super short yeah. and the last part is super long. So right. it didn't work very well in like stacked or uh, horizontally. So like what actually ended up working was having it you know, on an angle and kind of overlapping each other. So that was just mm. a, a nice visual solution that ended up working well and it played well with the iconic bridge. And uh, I'm sure you can see it online if you have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, it- I'll link to <laughs> yeah. it in the description. Yeah, it's hard to talk about visuals over audio, but um, yeah, that was a big challenge. And so many brands, and I imagine cities especially, there is a blood that runs through people that they create their own identity in a city, what the city means to them, it becomes part of them. So that burden, I imagine, is really daunting. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it, everyone's going to have different um, experiences with brands and you're going to form your own image of the brand in your mind, just like any brand that you believe in. And I, I think a good explanation of this would be like the idea of a dog. If you say dog to someone that grew up with dogs and they love dogs and puppies and everything, they're going to have a different idea of what a dog is. Whereas someone that had got chased by a dog and maybe got bitten by a dog as a child, they're going to like repel that idea. So you can form these different experiences, even though it's the same brand, it, it's to it means something's totally different to someone else. So that was important to consider. Uh, one of the biggest things that San Fran actually thrives on is their diversity, their boldness, how open they are, how lively they are. So these are all keywords that were really uh, honed in on when we were developing the brand. That metaphor is so perfect. I'm like a sucker for metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to use that, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> So there has been a thought or saying that has been going around the Twitters and all of this, that companies that rebrand without changing their service or what they're providing is meaningless. Do you agree with that or not? I think we, we often read stories online and we don't get the full story about what actually went on behind the scenes. We're always seeing the visuals and we judge it based on the visuals. There's so many, everyone has an opinion on that. And we're not actually considering what's going on behind the scenes. There could be so much research that we don't even know about that has dictated the reasons for that. And that you may or may not realize, but they're actually changing their services in the meantime as well. They have a new goal with their brand and they're actually aspiring to be that new brand that they're creating. They've changed their beliefs or whatever it may be. And they're in the progress of doing that. It's not like an instant change. And people think when they change a logo or the, the fonts or whatever it is, that it's a new brand and it's just the tip of the iceberg. I agree with that. When, when you hear someone say that as the definite, it's pointless if they're not doing it, is that offensive? Does it take you back as, this is my craft, this is what I do for a living, and you're trivializing it by saying it's pointless unless they're changing when they don't know the information? Yeah, it's. I, I understand why they do that, and uh, even I, I was a culprit of that as well in the early days. And it's it's very easy to do so. Like, there's such a misconception about branding 
that it is just the logo and the, I, the visual side of things that people get confused and they just need someone to explain it in simple terms. And that's really what I, I've been an advocate for is to, to explain the meaning of branding and that's not just that. So it doesn't grind my gears per se, but I understand where it's coming from. And it's just a matter of educating people on why you shouldn't comment on just the aesthetics and consider the whole the whole picture. But it's not always possible. So it's it's hard. It's a hard one. As a traditional UX designer, experienced designer as myself, the thing that you say grind my gears, I, I say that what my grandfather used to say, which is fry my onions <laughs> here in Texas. The thing that really fries my onions is when it's the assumption that all we do is make things look pretty. So what's that thing that that does grind your gears? Good question. I, I think people asking for feedback without any context. I'm like, can I get feedback on this? I'm like, on what? Yes. <laughs> Dude, when I see just a logo come up next to another logo, it says, what do you think? Which ones? It's like, okay, I'll give you feedback, but I have to put the caveat in that says, I know nothing about this. You've given me no details. So I have to go on uh, the pure visual. Here's what I might think but that's so shallow. Yeah, exactly. And I understand there's a market for that or a reason for that, especially for designers that are in the early stages of their career, they just want to get feedback on the visuals and they may not understand all of that just yet. I started a Facebook group to help these sorts of requests because there's a whole community now that can actually answer it. So people post their work and many people can comment on it. I just found I, I didn't have time to do respond to everyone and I, I, I couldn't give real feedback or other than visual or aesthetics than anything and I think it, it's starting to like whenever someone posts something like that it's starting to people are starting to ask for more um, context so I think that people are slowly learning or at least I hope so another hypothetical question for you if you had the chance to go back in time 12 years ago when you started what would you do different knowing what you know now but it's still 12 years ago that is still 12 years ago well there's so much more information available now like i i i wish i was like the internet was where it is now 10 years ago like i'd have so much more uh so many more resources i would have fast tracked my career so much more just for the, the pure access to to gold and not learning from other people but if i was to start again starting a blog I'd, I'd probably create well focus more on creating relationships and partnerships with people i would focus on seo which is really been the background of my business so search engine ultimate oh you've killed yeah, it search engine optimization so that's really um that's grown my business like it still does today and it earns me a lot of passive income because of high rankings and everything so search engine optimization is huge uh, anyone that wants to be seen and get free organic rankings it's it's so crucial to have and it's it's such a good investment to take to learn seo and you, people will be surprised that the 70% of SEO is quite basic. It's the, the simple things that do a lot. The hard part of SEO is actually getting things in place, such as getting backlinks and so forth and getting great content out there. That's the time consuming part, but knowing how just to write page titles and um, keywords and descriptions and how to outrank other people, um, that's the easy part. So it's just <laughs> getting backlink. That's that's a pretty challenging. But yeah, th thankfully I've got 10 years worth of, of backlinks that, that help rank my site. But if I was going to build up my blog and business, I'd learn SEO, I would create better partnerships with people. If I had the, like if I was building up my portfolio, I'd probably do more fictional projects to really, for bigger brands to, or at least for cities or products or 
rebrands or any fake product to really elevate my just to show my skills uh, i think that's what people well people do hire you for what's in your portfolio so if i really want to focus on branding and strategy and logo design I'd, I'd just focus on that in my portfolio but i also worked in web design so i was also had a lot of web design projects as well so i'd, I'd keep learning that and i think that's what i'd focus on seo putting the right things on my portfolio creating partnerships yeah there's so much more to it but <laughs> there are three things i could think of right now so now the second part of the question is if you didn't have all of the experience but it's 2019, what would you do today to start? If I had nothing from today, it's it's so easy to get a website up and running. Um, I would be more active on social. I have a bright content social, uh, marketing plan. So launching a website, I'd get the brand and strategy right. So if I was creating an agency, for example, I'd work on the full brand strategy first. So before any design or anything's done, I'd work on who my client is, figuring out my right messaging, my, my right positioning for my agency. And then I'd start doing the visuals and starting a website and then put a content marketing plan in place. I probably wouldn't focus on affiliate marketing to begin with. I would focus on my portfolio, my case studies, getting testimonials, really showing that I'm an authority um, on my website and then do content marketing. So uh, writing articles and generating leads for my site to drive people to my side and to get those um, leads. And then I'd cre create relationships based on those leads. And then if I knew what I knew about blogging and passive income, I'd probably start doing passive income after I've got some legway. Passive income, we haven't really talked about that much, but uh, I do a lot of affiliate marketing and um, there's other ways to earn passive income as well. So like having your own course or um, selling products or resources and so forth. When creating a course, where do you host it? I haven't created a, a course myself. I actually just promote other people's courses. So, oh, is that right? Yeah. Have you thought about creating your own course? I have thought about it. I there's a lot. I, I just I just put out free content. It's not a good business model. I just pump out free content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems to be working. Listen, this guy is a globe trotter. How long do you stay out? when you were going and trotting the globe? Good question. So when I left New York, I, I originally intended to travel for a year. Uh, that went well, so it turned into three years and we just kept traveling and going places. So it depends on where we were and how long we would stay. So the first year we're actually in Europe, which is pretty expensive. So we got in and got out pretty quickly and we only had a mm. three month visa, which we overstayed by three months. Don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> I'm not in a hundred and whatever countries, so you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, slowed down a little bit and went to a little bit more well, more affordable places. We would stay longer. Uh, and it kind of just, I, I got to like the travels a little bit more when we stayed in a place longer because we could get to know the place better and um, slow down, enjoy and really take it easy. But now these days in the past year, we've kind of settled down a little bit to have our kid who's just turning one tomorrow. And we are doing more like three, four week trips uh, at a time versus long term travel. Changes so everything. We just got, yeah, it does. And yeah, it's just a, it, it does change everything with a, a kid. And you just have more luggage. We went from a backpack to now we have like 10 bags. <laughs> it's like so, so ridiculous. <laughs> Has it changed the way you think about the future as far as, all right, we've been making it work with two of us pretty dang well. But now that there's this little nugget running around, who knows if there's going to be more nuggets? How has that impacted your life? 
Well, it's definitely for the better. It's, diff- it's been a different lifestyle change. There is going to be another one on the way, but it's just adapting to how things work and you we stick to his schedule and that makes li- our lives easier. We do run a travel blog and my wife has written tons of tips on how to travel with a, a kid if anyone's interested. There's also like tons tons of guides to um, dozens of countries on there as well. And Give that a shout out. What is that job. one called? It's um, Just Globetrotting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's tons to learn on there and yeah, tips on how to travel with a kid as well. He's already been to six countries. He's only one. Well, he's not even one. So it's a, he's very well traveled. I've only been to two and never overseas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a little lucky guy. You said that um, there will be another one on the way. Was that an announcement or is that just you You want to have more kids? We want to have more kids. I'm ready for okay. a second one. My wife is waiting a little bit. <laughs> so we'll see you next year. I was about to get excited that I was going to get the announcement, <laughs> the exclusive content. Yeah, right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question for you, and it's a question I ask every guest, which is, what object or thing that you own or possess that is non-digital means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? Uh, the wedding ring is pretty apparent. I can over, <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. It's, uh, it's always on my finger. I'm always like spinning it around. It's always on my mind. So it's a constant reminder of marriage and my wife. So that's probably the most meaningful. Let me tell you something, Mr. Cass. We have the same answer. Oh, yeah. And I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of married people. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the first one to say anything to do with that vow or that connection. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm curious what the other answers are. Well, it is a tough question, especially on the spot. And I I don't, I mean, it's not like I'm dissing the other ones. They're all really interesting and intriguing. But uh, that answer warms my heart and uh, we have that in common. I mean, my answer is not your wedding ring. It, obviously, it's mine. But... Yeah, that would, that would be a bit strange. <laughs> that would be real bizarre. <laughs> well, Mr. Cass, we could go on forever and ever, but until next time, I'm going to have you back. I hope you'll agree to do it. And thank you again for being on. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. That will do it for this week, friends. Thank you again to my guest, and thank you again to all of you tuning in. I can't tell you how valuable you are to me. I would also like to give a really special shout out to all of the new patrons of the show, including, of course, my new executive producer, Brian Sullivan. Now, if you're wondering how you might best support the show, head over to patreon.com slash xdpodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash XD podcast. I also have a link in the show notes. And check out all the perks of becoming a patron of the show here. And listen, if Patreon doesn't float your boat, if it's not your thing, I get it. But a subscribe or a view or share, it's always just as meaningful as something like Patreon to me. It really is so impactful. So with that, I can't wait to have you back next week. But until then, friends, Stay curious. Experience Design is part of XD Media, LLC. All opinions are my own and do not reflect those of my current or former employers.